0: Hey, if you'd like, I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians is where we've been for a while, and we're in chapter 5 right now. You're going to find this in a pew Bible. If you didn't think to bring your own Bible, you will find this on page 1159 is where we're going to be, Ephesians chapter 5, page 1159. There's a difference, you know. There's a difference between praying... And wishing. And there is a difference between thriving and just existing. And there's a difference between loving and just putting up with somebody. (laughs) There's a difference between giving and taking. And there's a difference between living and feeling alive and being alive and dying and feeling like you're all shriveled up on the inside as well as the outside. Not everyone knows that, though. Not everyone understands that there is a difference. In fact, I believe that many people don't pray because they don't know how to pray. They don't know how to trust. And there are people who don't thrive because they have allowed the cares of this world to be the only focus that they can have. And they have not looked to eternity in order to glimpse the joy of knowing the here and now. And there are people who have stopped loving and who have allowed their circle of friends to shrink and shrink, right along with their very own hearts, shrinking and shrinking. And there are people who live to take and to get and to consume rather than to find any joy in giving and surrendering and opening their hands. And these are people who in the midst of living, while their lungs are still breathing and their hearts are still beating, the very inside of their spirit and their soul is dead and dying. There are many people like that. In fact, Jesus says, broad is the way that is populated with people like that. And narrow is a way to life. There's a difference. There's more than just wishing. There's more than just sending your thoughts. There's more than just existing. There's more than just slogging along. There's more than moving through life consuming and grabbing all you can get for your selfish little heart. And there is more than just waiting until one day you die. The difference is spoken of in our texts. It is a difference that the Apostle Paul has been unfolding since chapter 1 through chapter 2, 3, 4, and now in 5. It is a difference that belongs to those who have honestly chosen to encounter Jesus Christ on a personal level and have asked him to bring into their life a life-changing encounter, a life-changing experience. I want to just show that difference to you this morning and kind of celebrate it with you. And I'd like you to follow along as I read, starting in verse 8 of Ephesians 5. He says, For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Rather, expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedience do, the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is the light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's a difference. What is that difference? The difference is knowing Jesus. And knowing Jesus is really the difference between being blind and seeing. Every now and then you'll read a book or you'll see a movie, and somewhere along the way in the course of the plot, something will occur that changes everything. I remember one time I first noticed this. It was when Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman were starring in that movie Rain Man. I don't know if you remember the movie Rain Man. It had good things in it. It had bad things in it. But it had a pivotal pivotal moment in it when you discovered who Rain Man really was. And as I'm sitting there watching it, I wanted to press pause and say, whoa. I need a minute to digest what just happened. I can remember I was sitting with a group of Christians and we were talking about that. And a number of them noted, they they said, I felt like that was a holy moment in the movie, in theater. Because it was a moment that changed everything about how I was seeing that movie. That's illustrated other places in, in art. You can see it in that kind of aha moment. In a movie called The Miracle Worker. It's an old black and white film and in the movie when when the woman who plays Ann Sullivan finally gets through to the blind, deaf, and dumb girl, that the pattern she has been making as she's been holding this little girl's hands, that this means water. And she keeps repeating it over and over and letting a girl who who can't see the water, can't hear the water, can't talk about the water, letting her touch it. And she does the pattern again and touch it and do it again and do it again. All of a sudden, Helen Keller realizes, whoa, ah, that means water. And I can communicate with another human being and they with me. And when you're watching that movie, that aha moment is life-changing. And it's like, wow, this changes everything. I was blind before. And although Helen Keller still couldn't see with her eyes, a door opened of light that she could understand in a way she never could previous to that. It is like that with Christian faith. It is like that with understanding. When you come to that moment that you understand this is not a religion, and when you understand this isn't a thing I do because grandma and grandpa did it and my parents did it. When you come to the point where you recognize that he hung on the cross for you personally. And you understand that, that you can't earn God's, God's love. That he did it all. You have that aha moment. And it can be a bit overwhelming. And it should be life changing. There's a difference. And this passage says, you're moved from darkness to light. By the way, this passage doesn't just say you were in the dark. Take a look at verse 8 for a minute and see what it says about us before we encounter Jesus. It says, for you were once darkness. (laughs) So you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. And that tells me that at the very least, Before you opened your heart to Jesus, your vision was intensely dim. You know, my wife loves to tease me about my inability to perceive art. You know, there are some people, they can't smell things. I can't smell. My Ever since this happened, I had a bad cold. I've never been able to smell. And there are some people that are tone deaf. You know, and they can't tell if you're on pitch or not. And my wife loves to tease me and she'll say to me, your art sensor is broken. You just don't get art, Steve. And to a large extent, she's right. I can remember when we first moved from Georgia to Bradford, Pennsylvania, we would go to Buffalo, New York, and we would go into the Walden Galleria Mall. Anybody ever been there? Okay, some of you. This was some 20 years ago, and at that time, in a Galleria Mall, up in the ceiling, up, up in that top part of the wall, under the... The, uh, the skylights, there was a piece of steel that was kind of twisting around and, and bent in this kind of form. And, and as we're walking through the mall, I can remember Laurel looking up and saying, wow, wow, look at that. And I looked up and, and, and I said something like this. I said, you know, that looks like a roller coaster it got caught in a giant blender. What's going on with that? And she would pat me on the head and say, Steve, you just, your art sensor is broken. You don't get art. And sadly, even in the National Gallery of Art in London, as we walked through there, Laurel was looking and saying, oh, wow, I can't believe I'm seeing this in person. Whoa, look at this. And I've got to tell you, the Brits know how to do it. They put the lights on that art, so even I could appreciate Rembrandt. You know, Wow, that's pretty neat. But I also have to admit this. I was done in about 20 minutes. And a person who can understand art could probably spend 20 hours there easily just walking through and looking at all the art. Now, I want you to understand in the Walden Galleria Mall the problem might be with the art. There could be a problem, but that's just not art, okay? But uh, in the gallery in London, the problem is with me. That, that is beautiful art, and I wasn't able to understand that or perceive it. And that's the way it is with us before we know Christ, before we surrender to Christ, before we know Him personally. We may know about Him. We may have grown up knowing about Him. But until you come to the point in your heart where you say, yes, I need you to die for me, Jesus. I am so sorry. I want to follow after you then that part of you that can perceive spiritual realities is still broken. It's still not functioning well. And you're blind to many things. We were blind to the love that God had for us. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross. I've heard that lots of times. We were blind to the significance of that sacrifice. And when we watched the movie, The Passion of the Christ, we're like, whoa. Oh boy, they got some special effects there. And we were blind to the beauty of having a relationship with God where he walks with us and talks with us because that just seems odd to someone who's never surrendered to Christ. We were blind to the joy that's experienced in a loving Christian family. And catch this, we were also blind to the importance of living a life that pleased God. And I'm going to go back and talk about that a little bit more later in the sermon. But the idea of, is your life pleasing to God? Well, what does God care how I live? And just like Steve couldn't perceive art, so unless you surrender your heart to Jesus, you just don't get those kinds of things. They seem neat. Maybe you're impressed by them. Maybe you, you respect them. Like, wow, that's pretty cool that that's, you got that in your life. But personally, I don't get it. I don't get it. But when you open your heart to Jesus, God opened your eyes. It's kind of like that gospel song, I saw the light, you know? It's like all of a sudden it kind of made sense to you and you're like, wow, there's such a difference. This is so much different now that I've surrendered to Jesus. It's the difference between being blind and seeing, knowing Jesus is. Knowing Jesus is the difference actually between being sterile and being fruitful. That's a huge difference, if you ask me. When I was a kid, we had a rabbit dog. It was the best rabbit dog in the world. In fact, Josh and Jess Thatchick so admire the rabbit dog I had when I was a little kid that they named their second son after that rabbit dog. Tuck. You got something to say there, Mr. Thatchik? That's right. right. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. Tuck was this rabbit dog we had. And let me just tell you, I've told some of you this before. She would be sure to run that rabbit in a circle and she would bring that rabbit right back to your shooting lane. It's like she knew what you were doing. And then after you killed that rabbit, she would track it out the rest of the way and she would get to it and she would pick it up and in her soft beagle mouth, do you know what a soft mouth is? Beagles have a soft mouth. They don't puncture the skin of of the prey. Bring that rabbit right up and lay it at your feet and just wag her tail and look up at you and said, is this what you were looking for? You know? She was great. She would, she would deliver that rabbit to you and I know some, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, that's not that good. I had a dog like that too. Yeah, but I'm not done telling you about Tuck. Tuck would clean the rabbit. And then Tuck would clean your gun. And then Tuck would season the game and Tuck would put it into a pan and put it into the oven. And while it was baking in the oven, she would give you a foot massage. (laughs) And then a little bit of garnish on the side, she'd serve it to you and clean up the dishes when you were done. Not exactly. But Tuck was a great dog. Tuck was a wonderful dog. We loved Tuck, but she had a fatal flaw. And her fatal flaw was that she was sterile. Wow, when you have a dog like that, You want puppies. You want a lot of more tucks because they're such great hunters. And we wanted one really bad. And we brought in every beagle from Clarion all the way to Clearfield. And man, we could not get that dog to conceive. Fruitless. Sterile. I think maybe tuck left reproduction up to the rabbits. What do you think? (laughs) This passage talks about being unable to reproduce or the ability to produce when it talks about the term fruit. It says fruit of darkness, fruit of light. It speaks about that kind of thing. And in the Bible, fruit almost always means productivity. And if you're a child of darkness, you reproduce darkness. But if you're a child of the light, if you know Jesus, you reproduce light. That's why it says in the second part of verse 8, it says, Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So if you know Jesus, you produce goodness. You produce righteousness. You produce truth. You produce holiness. And in contrast, when you were not following Jesus, sad to say your life was fruitless. Verse 11 wants us to even have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And the fact is, when we're following Jesus, we actually produce fruit that's important. I was so blessed uh, a couple weeks ago to go to Atlanta, Georgia, to go to the Catalyst Conference. And the theme of the Catalyst Conference was make. They had one of those projectors in the ceiling. They shone it down on the floor in that large arena. It was kind of like being in Bryce Jordan. And down on the floor, there was the letters M-A-K-E, and they kept turning those on, make. And I can remember when I when I first went there and sat down, I thought, make, make what? What are they saying? And here's what they're saying. If you're a Christian, you should produce something. Don't just be a consumer. Give. Don't just receive. Make a way to help people that are financially struggling. Make a way to let people know that Jesus died for them personally. Make a way to help marriages become stronger Even if you have to squeeze 22 people into a little yellow room upstairs. Make a way to help people worship. Even if you have to practice the music over and over again. Make a way to help people understand the importance of prayer. Make a way to explain repentance that it doesn't just mean being sorry, it means being sorry and turning away. Make a way to show people that Jesus loves them. Make a way to teach the Bible. So it's relevant. Produce fruit. Stop being a consumer. Start being a farmer. Make. Verse nine says the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's missional, and we are to be missional, like we're on a mission to get something done. By the way, it, it cracks me up. I. Sometimes I wish I didn't have the internet because it makes me so mad some of the things I read, you know? And sometimes you read things online, or even I've heard, I've been in settings where pastors and laymen alike have said, I don't like this whole missional movement. It detracts. What? Stop it. We are to produce fruit. We are on a mission to produce fruit. And a Christian should be productive or fruitful. As Christians, what you make is alive. What you make is vibrant. What, what you make is, is as beautiful as goodness itself is beautiful. And what you make is as admirable as righteousness is admirable. And what you make is essential. As essential as the truth is essential. That's why he uses those words in this passage of goodness. Imagine how ugly this world would be without light, without goodness, without righteousness. without without truth. So when you follow Jesus, you reflect all those things from him to this world. It's kind of neat on a personal level (laughs) when you follow Jesus. You find that it actually produces deep satisfaction in your heart. Verse 10 says this. It says, Find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. What I want to suggest to you is when you do discern what pleases the Lord, that is when you begin to do it and find a deep satisfaction. I can remember, uh, and I've told this story before because it so profoundly influenced me. I can remember when my dad was here, and my dad grew up in a generation where he didn't pat people on the back, you know. And and if I did something good and I would say to dad, Hey, I did something good, dad would say, well, yeah, you're supposed to do that. Why would I say anything about that? When you do something bad, I'll let you know. And that was just Dad's mentality, where he grew up and the way he was. And so my dad didn't give me many attaboys growing up. I can remember uh, he was sitting right about right about where Mrs. Smay's sitting there on a Sunday morning. uh, And I was preaching my heart out. (laughs) It was an Easter Sunday, so I'd worked really hard. And I finished the sermon and We finished up at church and the six of us, my family of four and dad and mom, all went down to the parsonage. And dad was standing there, and I know it was hard for him to do because it was not in his nature to do this. But out of the blue, he looked at me and he said, you're a good preacher, Steve. Ah, it's one of the most important sentences I ever heard in my life. I so much want to know what pleased Glenn Shields so that I could hear from Him, good job, Son. I so much want to know from my Heavenly Father what pleases Him so that I can hear from Him one day, good job, Son. Well done, my good and faithful servant. There are times in this life when you do something, when when you're following after Jesus and you sense Him leading you to do something and you say, yeah, that's going to be hard. That's going to be it's going to require sacrifice. It's it's going to be a challenge, but but I'm going to go ahead and do that. And even as you're doing it, you experience his pleasure. And that is what the bottom line on the screen right now is speaking about. That is intensely satisfying. Before you came to Christ, you just didn't get that. You were blind to seeing that, and you couldn't really please God before you surrendered to him. You weren't fruitful. Spiritually speaking, you were sterile. Knowing Jesus personally and finally surrendering to Him is a difference between being blind and seeing. It is a difference between being sterile and being fruitful. And it is a difference between feeling shame and feeling honor. This passage speaks of shame. Have you ever done something you're really ashamed of? I mean, really something. Think about it. I want you to think. I'm going to come down here because I need you to pay attention. don't want you to fade, okay? Have you ever done something, think about what it is right now, something you're incredibly embarrassed about. You got it? Okay, great. What is it, Tim? Tell me. (laughs) Wasn't that fun? His family's here, so that was a lot of fun. Just keeping you awake. You know, when you've done something really shameful, you know that you want to avoid shameful behavior. I was trying to work through here, and I was trying to come up with a sermon illustration on what is shameful, and I thought about things I've done in my own past, and just like you could think of something you had done, I thought of things while I was sitting at my computer writing a sermon, and frankly, I don't want to share them with you. I'm ashamed of them. And then I thought about my fictitional friend, Joe McMobley. You know, I'm always talking about Joe McMobley. Old Joe McMobley, let me tell you a story about him. And usually when I tell you a Joe McMobley, it's about a real person. But I've changed the name to protect the guilty. you know. But but frankly, when I think about that, I think Joe McMobley would kill me if I told you the shameful things he's done. And then I thought to myself, well, I'll look it up on the internet. I'll just check on the internet and say, well, what are the shameful things that the people have done? And buddy, you can find them. You just Google something and say, just Google something like the phrase, I was so ashamed of myself and just read the context in which that phrase exists but here's the deal i can't share them with you because verse 12 is right it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret you know when you don't know jesus you don't really care that much yeah i did that <laughs> we all do that yeah we're not that shame doesn't really exist like it should exist but when you know Jesus and when you understand Scripture more deeply, verses 13 and 14, you say, boy, that's spot on, isn't it? I mean, take a look at verse 13. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is the light that makes everything visible. That's why it said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What's that saying? It's saying that every little secret that you have, when you came to Christ, you became plenty aware of it. And it woke you up. And it helped you to see, I don't want to live a life of shame. Now, if you try to figure out what the opposite of shame is, you'll probably come up with uh, pride. And you'll think, well, I'm kind of stuck. I'm not supposed to be proud. I'm not supposed to be shameful. But really, the the opposite of, of shame is not pride. It's honorable. And so what you want to do as a Christian is live a life of honor. Because the difference that Christ has made in you when you came to place your faith in Him personally was he moved you from shameful behavior toward honorable behavior. I talked a little about my dad and mom. I talked about them too much, probably. I do a lot of funerals. It's just something that comes along when you've been in a town for 16, 17 years, 16 years now. You get to do a lot of funerals for people you know and people you don't know. I've done funerals for Sunday school teachers. I've done funerals for drunkards. I've done funerals for people who have lived lives of honor because they met Jesus Christ personally and surrendered their hearts to him and began to follow after him. And it is a beautiful thing. And I've done funerals for the opposite. And there's no beauty in it at all. Every thinking person in the world would say, I do not want to engage in shameful behavior. I want to live a life of honor. How can I do that? The difference is Jesus. He's a difference. And he has made it so that you can live a life of honor. He's made all the difference in the world. You know, something that's really sad for our generation, for today's generations, is that we have trouble seeing the difference. We have trouble seeing that there really is a difference between people who know God and people who claim to know God or just don't care to know God. We have trouble seeing the difference because sometimes people who don't know God can be really good and sometimes they can be better than those people that claim to know God. You know. Another reason we have trouble seeing the difference is we've been exposed to so much hypocrisy. We've watched in the media and we've seen ministry after ministry after ministry after ministry fail and there's something in my heart that goes, Pfft, there's no difference. And we read the statistics about marriage and we hear somebody report, you know, there's really no difference in the divorce rates between people who go to church and people who don't go to church. And we say, there's no difference. And we bump into people personally and we see them and and we see how they they sit in a pew and sing the songs on Sunday morning and then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. There's no difference. I want to affirm to you with all my heart that there is a difference. There is a difference between praying and wishing. There is a difference between thriving and existing. There is a difference between honestly loving deeply and just bearing with someone. And there is a difference between giving and opening your heart and opening your hand and just saying to God and anyone else that He puts on your heart, here it is, God. And uh, taking and selfishly filling your own desires. There's a difference between living and dying. And if you're trusting in Jesus, you understand that difference. I want us to pray that He can help us live that difference. And that difference would be real to us and real to the people around us. We're going to pray that in a minute, but first, I just want to talk like a Dutch uncle. I don't even know what that means, but I'm good at doing it. You know, I'm guessing there are some of you here that are like, I see the difference you're talking about, but I don't know personally the difference you're talking about. And the way to encounter that difference, the way to experience that difference, is to really get honest with Jesus and really say, you know, I, I recognize i kind of been running. Or I recognize I've just been playing playing house, playing church. Or I recognize I really haven't I really haven't surrendered to you, Jesus. That My Christian faith is just something that I kind of wear around like my membership in a sportsman's club. And I want to send to you the opportunity to make that right so that Christ can make a difference. If you want to make that right, you do it just by talking to God. I don't even have to tell some of you. You know this. You do it just by talking to God. You say, God, I realize that that I have not surrendered to you. Maybe I did it when I was 12 years old. Maybe I did it when I was four. Maybe I did it when I was 40, but I can tell you right now, I am not surrendered to you at all. And I don't know, I don't know what that meant back then. And frankly, I don't want to get into a theological debate about that with you, God. You get in a debate with God, you're going to lose, by the way. But here's what I want to do, though. I just, I want the difference. And here's key. Listen, I believe that Jesus died for my sins on the cross. I trust that that paid for it. I'm going to live a life that reflects that I'm thankful for it. And that's faith and repentance. So if that's you, first I want to pray with you. So I'd like all of us to bow our hearts and close our eyes and pray together. God, there might be some people here that have heard about the difference. Maybe they've gotten a taste of the difference. But they know right now there's no difference in their life. And I pray that by Your Holy Spirit You would work in their hearts and that they would speak words like this to You. God, I recognize that I am not following after Jesus. I recognize that I have not taken seriously, I am not taking seriously, the extent of my own sin and the greatness of His sacrifice on my behalf. And so I'm asking You, God, please forgive me. I turn away from my sin. I place my trust in Jesus. I believe, Jesus, that when You died on the cross, You died for me so that I could be forgiven. Help me live a life that reflects a genuine appreciation of that. Come into my heart. Make the difference in Christ's name. Amen. Now let me tell you something. If you prayed that prayer this afternoon, that's right, it's, five, it's six after. If you prayed that prayer this afternoon, Jesus made a difference. But there is an enemy who will want to tell you that nothing has changed. Let me tell you, you are still human, so you will still stumble. You'll still mess up along the way. Don't allow that to convince you that no difference has been made. If you just open your heart to Jesus, He is making a difference. And He will change you from a person who wishes to a person who prays. From a person who exists to a person who thrives. From a person who just puts up with people to... Someone who actually is learning to love. From a person who is all about consuming and taking and getting to a person who is all about producing and giving. From a person who's been dying to a person who's finally started living. Do not allow the enemy to play head games with you and tell you there's no difference. There is a difference. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will know why he's cast out. And second, I want to pray for all of us, you included, who might have just prayed. And I want to pray that all of us could live this difference day to day. And so I want to invite all of you to stand, if you would. Let's stand together. And let's go ahead and pray to that end. Father in heaven, we are thankful. We are thankful that you loved us enough to send Jesus to die for our sins. We understand from the text we just read from the Bible this morning that this does not just mean we have a fire insurance policy so we don't go to hell. We understand that we are now not, not even just children of light. We're light. Help us live as light. Help us be the light of the world. Show us places that we are ineffective. Show us places that we're sinful. And help us instead to become effective and to become saintly. Help us to see what pleases you, Father in heaven, because we so long to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Make it so, for this is a prayer of our heart, in Christ's name.